Welcome back to the program. Every day we encounter jerks. Some have recently argued that the number of jerks has increased exponentially as we all experience greater stress and more frequent encounters in denser urban environments. But when those jerks go too far, they truly become assholes. But why so many? Why now? And what can we do about it? We're going to talk about this very subject today with my guest, Aaron James. He holds a Ph.D. from Harvard. He's a professor of philosophy at the University of California, Irvine. He's the author of the previous book, Fairness and Practice. And it is my pleasure to welcome Aaron James here to talk about his newest work, Assholes, a Theory. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks very much for having me. How does this become a, a subject for a philosophy professor at UC Irvine to write about? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it sort of started uh, while I was surfing, and, you know, one particular guy was breaking the rules of right away that surfers used to share waves. And I thought, why well, this guy's an asshole. Um, and, uh, but then I started thinking, well, wait a minute, what is it for to classify a person, you know, in that way versus, uh, you know, uh, thinking of them as cooperative is, you know. And then so I kind of got tinkering on a definition. And then uh, over time, after sharing the definition with colleagues and friends, you know, from different disciplines, I gradually acquired expertise about <laughs> <just> subject <laughs> uh, aside from personal experience. And then so that made it seem like, uh, you know, a good way of popularizing philosophy, uh, looking at it through the through the topic. So what becomes the classic definition of an asshole? Well, I'm proposing there's, there really isn't a dictionary definition, and there's nothing really firmly established in philosophy, although there's a lot of related uh, figures. So I sort of just am proposing as a sort of novel philosophical definition that captures what we mean or what's important to us. And, and uh, that's this, uh, that the, the asshole is the guy, and they're, they're mainly but not only men, um, who uh, helps himself to special advantages in cooperative life. So he cuts in line or he swerves through three lanes of traffic or he talks to on a lot up on cell phone in a public place, where he does that from a sense of entitlement uh, to those benefits, you know, thinks he's especially smart or rich or, or, or whatever. It could be any, any sense of entitlement. And his sense of entitlement is such that he's so entrenched in it that he's immunized against the complaints of other people. It, if, you know, he cuts a line and you pipe up and say, hey, buddy, you know, there's a line here, he just says, you know, piss off. Um, uh, there's nothing that, you know, he doesn't have to listen to you. Are there more of them today? Um, I guess I'm not totally sure whether there are more than there used to be, but there's definitely a case to make that they're, that they're you know, rising numbers. But it depends a lot on which society, you know, you mean. I mean, probably in Canada there aren't any more than there used to be, or, or Japan, but in the United States, uh, it does seem like there are more. Um, I mean, that's maybe partly because there are a lot more in the media, because now, you know, being an asshole sort of well-rewarded <laughs> with the reality TV <laughs> and politics, you know, the spectacle of it, you know, gets viewers and, uh, and sells advertising and, uh, you know, gets rewarded with money and fame and power, and you know, in politics. Um but that, so maybe they're more conspicuous, you know, in the in media. But that can also create incentives for people to sort of find their inner asshole and you know develop it, um, and so then rise to the occasion. So in some sense, the wider cultural message, you know, that greed is good, or that you know you can take as much as you can get from society and not worry too much about contributing, um, can sort of at a steady way increase the 
the proportion of assholes in the in the population. So there's at least a case to make that that's happening in, in places like the U.S. It's interesting that you talk about Japan because one of the things that that argues for more asshole behavior is greater stress, greater density, more contact with people all the time. And Japan would seem to belie that theory in some respects. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And actually, I think it's it's harder to be an asshole when there's closer contact um, with people. Um, maybe it depends on the kind of contact. So, I mean, New York City, maybe even a sort of a lo- more local example, mm-hmm. sort of it's pretty difficult to be an asshole on the street walking through the streets of, of New York City where you have, there's sub, you know, the, all the norms of cooperation that govern, you know, walking behavior. There's all this subtle adjustment that people are constantly doing so it's not run into each other and sort of and be respectful. And that's actually a fairly highly complicated system. But when, in contrast, say, in Los Angeles, when you're driving, and you're 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 relating more to the car in front of you, the car, which is a more impersonal kind of way of being related. Um, you don't have the interpersonal aspect of it, and it's easier to sort of cut the person off or not let them over when they're trying to um, when they're trying to switch lanes. You know, speed up on them, <laughs> like they're buzzed by their bumper. Right. And so the depersonalized context makes it a lot easier to sort of um, well, both um, do bad, you know, do things that you're not really entitled to do to people, and then also get really angry when you think that they're, you know, infringing your right. Um, so, to some extent, sort of the the it's it's not just a matter of density, but the ability for us to send personal cues about what kind of cooperation is necessary, and then impose interpersonal pressures um, on you know a violation of cooperative norms. I think that that sort of makes people uh, more or less likely to be an asshole. It's interesting, the geography of it, because as you say, in in a place like New York, it's more difficult because of the interpersonal contact. And then, of course, the other extreme, the other side, is small towns where you run into the same people all the time, and that makes it more difficult. So it really is a very select kind of environment, that, and, and car culture is clearly one of them, that encourages this kind of asshole behavior. Yeah, it's, it's so I, there's a philosophical point about the way that um, uh, the number of proper assholes you have in a society varies with the culture, and then also even among more cooperative people, the extent to which they're prone to asshole kind of depends on the culture. But what the exact parameters are for the you know the cultural situations is something that's harder to say in the abstract, but it's something that social science could can really can really study. You know, what are the pro, pro, what are the um, different parameters that over lots of different cultures of society make for you know greater cooperation or not? And there are actually studies you know of, uh, that are sort of related to um, when you get established norms of cooperation or when not, that are of a very sophisticated kind within different branches of social science. Um, so at that point, the question can become scientific, um, and, and the theory of the asshole can sort of help steer what questions or scientific questions are of interest or how they get tested. And to come back to a point that you made earlier, the coarsening of the culture in general, the very nature of popular culture, in many ways contributes to this kind of behavior. Yeah, I think it can. It it can just definitely by um, you know changing standards because you know when there's sort of a market incentive for to push boundaries, uh, you know, to get attention. I mean, we notice when boundaries get violated or when they're infringed or those gray areas. That's attractive and it's interesting to us. And so, to the extent when there's sort of 
powerful market incentives attached uh, to um, getting, you know, eyeballs and getting viewers and getting you, you know, this just uh, there's sort of a, a, a constant trend, you know, um, to, you know, well, by, just by putting assholes on TV and reality TV or politics, right? Um, it, and it's a kind of interesting conflicted attitude we have about them because we find, you know, people's misbehavior offensive, but then we find it riveting and fascinating. We want to watch it, right? So and as long as it's interesting, we'll keep watching it. Um, and so then there's a kind of standing incentive to have a media that's constantly pushing uh, boundaries, sometimes, you know, often in, in the, you know, a lower direction, um, but uh, anyway, kind of a way that's changing or putting a pressure against sort of the basic norms of cooperation that people have established as a way of getting along together, which just for that reason have a certain kind of, you know, should command a certain kind of respect. You know, sometimes they, they're, they're intolerant or they don't leave room for, you know, appropriate liberties or, or differences between people. But uh, we're always going to need some kinds of basic norms of cooperation, norms of respect, norms, some kinds of norms of decency, decent treatment. And to some extent, the, you know, uh, at least media markets or, or, or workplace, you know, um, uh, practices or larger attitudes about money are working against those standards, uh, um, you know, at least in our system. Do we see any generational differences in terms of this kind of behavior? Yeah, I think there's, again, there's an argument. It's hard to know, be very definitive about these, but it does seem like, you know, with the greatest generation, um, you know, era, you know, in the U.S., well, there's a strong ethos of cooperation. You know, the ethos is captured in Kennedy's remark, you know, about um, not asking what your country can do for you, what you can do for your country. That that kind of era in which actually, you know, America was very successful as a country in a lot of ways because of, you know, tremendous cooperative efforts, especially in politics where it wasn't, you know, uh, we didn't have hyper-partisanship. Um, we had a lot of alignment across parties, you know, uh, a desire to work on common problems. Um, and then so there's a case to make that, you know, you know, with the rise of sort of greed is good uh, capitalism, um, you know, there's now these powerful economic incentives to, um, and a cultural message that says, you know, you can get as much as you can in the market for yourself and just, you know, don't worry about uh, you know, let the market handle, you know, somehow, uh, things working out for society. And then in more recently generations, um, at least there's a case to make that social media, um, makes people feel, makes people more narcissistic and, um, more entitled, uh, and less empathetic, uh, to other people. Um, and so there's some studies that have, you know, found proxies for measuring these things and suggested that there is a rise of, uh, of of sense of entitlement and decline of empathy with the rise of social media around you know year two thousand ish you know with, uh, or maybe a little later and so some of those trends you you can see at least correlations um, but on the other hand the the millennial generations according to lots of measures are sort of pretty well behaved so uh, that's consistent with their you know being cooperative in one area and more a holeish in in others but. Um, um, so, you know, there's maybe conflicting trends, and there, but there is a case to make that cumulatively, um, you know, the next generation, the incoming generations are sort of becoming uh, more entitled, more likely to be a-holes. It's counterintuitive in some respects, because if we look at social media, it prevents the kind of anonymity that we associate with, with asshole behavior. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's fascinating that, because you might think that this goes back to Plato's uh, famous ring of Gyges 
um, in which its bearer gives you in- invisibility and or sort of basically powers to not be held accountable, right? Um, so you can do anything, get away with anything. Now, why should you be moral? Um, and what's but what's interesting about the 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 asshole in particular is that he's willing to violate cooperative norms right out in the open, right? <laughs> so it's not the threat of being held accountable that's sort of keeping people at bay. I mean, the, what's special about the asshole is he's learned to to sort of sidestep or manage or disregard the basic ways that cooperative people have of sanctioning or punishing or holding accountable. Um, and now a lot of people can't manage it. They can't swing it, and so they don't do it. But the, And it often takes a certain amount of social intelligence to really successfully uh, successfully do that, to be out in the open. Um, and then, um, you know, but there's a certain kind of mindset that you have to have, uh, you know, a very... Often it's a kind of it is a kind of narcissism in the in the more standard psychological sense, a very stable sense of of your own you know special worth, mm-hmm. and, and in fact an inability to see other see yourself as other people see you, which is you know which is maybe not so great, right? <laughs> uh, and that that kind of attitude can get encouraged by social media. I mean, as people identify less with who they are, or how real people think of them, but who they are in their you know Facebook profile and how they sort of carefully manage it, they start to think, that's that's me, that's who I am, um, and then, you know, think of themselves as a little celebrity and then, you know, fall into all the tendencies of narcissism that celebrities or, you know, fame or, you know, or money or, you know, high status can bring. Mm-hmm. You touched on something before that's also an interesting aspect of this, which is the gender difference, that most of this behavior is on the part of men. Yeah, it's an interesting question, which I sort of toyed with initially um, about whether, um, you know, being an a-hole is only, a, the, the term asshole is like the term um, bachelor. It's just, we use it just, we in practice only to apply to men. And then maybe for women, we, you know, if they act out, we call them, you know, with the B word or something like that. Well, that's just a matter of language use. But I, I decided that didn't seem right because there are occasionally some, uh, there are women um who really just seem like straightforward, uh, you know, assholes in a straightforward sense, or at least it's not a confusion in language to think of, to consider whether they are, um, you know, in the way that it's confusion of language to ask whether this woman, she's a bachelor, because, you know, you have, if, you're not, if you're not a male, you're not a bachelor, mm-hmm. sort of by definition. And so it, it, it seemed to me that it just really is an interesting fact that, uh, so there could have been more um, asshole women, but there aren't. So it's a very interesting fact that among um, the assholes that come into existence in humankind, they tend to be overwhelmingly grouped within the male gender, but it could have been otherwise. And I think that's mostly because of just um, gender culture, you know, the ways that we socialize, you know, men or boys very differently than and girls, you know, with much more room for permission, you know, we don't expect a lot of them by way of cooperation. We don't expect them to pay attention. You know, uh, boys will be boys, whereas for girls, you know, we expect a high degree of very close attention and performance according to cooperation, norms of cooperation, they're sharply sanctioned, um, and things like that. And I think that over time, um, you know, as those uh, different practices sort of work out within, you know, as people grow up, and that sort of explains um, uh, the difference uh, because it's you know relatively easy for men to act out and maybe they're expected to because certain ideas of male- maleness you know uh, uh, or manliness 
um, get associated with, you know, pushing boundaries and, and uh, or, you know, standing your ground and not being too worried about what people think and things like that. Right. In many ways, it it is self-perpetuating right now because there's so much modeling of it taking place within the culture from politics, as you mentioned before, right on down. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the more powerful the incentives to act like an asshole become, because it's because it just seems, you know, to almost everybody that assholes are very well rewarded, uh, um, and you know, the successful ones really are. Um, then that can encourage at least more attempts. You know, people think, oh, that's how to get ahead in business. You know, you have to edge out the competition, and oh, and then it encourages these general rationalizations. Like, well, it's a doggy dog world, you know, and if you don't crush your competition before they, cr- you know, they're just going to crush you, and uh, you know, or, or you know, similarly with traffic driving, <laughs> you know, go, like encourages a kind of general cynicism that uh, breeds um, um, breeds asshole conduct, and you know, it just sends the general message that this is what you have to do to get ahead in politics or entertainment and. Um, and things, like, and I'm not sure that's really true. I mean, because most people who succeed really only succeed because a lot of other people are supporting them, and and they just aren't going to be willing to support them, them if they're you know too much, too big of an asshole or an asshole in the wrong way. So I still think that the successful assholes are fairly exceptional um, and have learned to you know do uh, what you know most people really can't. Um, but it's still um, there's still the broader cultural message that really can encourage the attempt, right? Um, and and over time can encourage the number of people who uh, you know who who really are who really are um, assholes. And and now it's especially in politics, um, you know, because decision making is very sensitive to cooperation. Um, it, you just can just one one asshole can you know have catastrophic consequences. Um, so. Um, it's no small thing if you have, you know, more assholes in politics than we used to, um, because, you know, it really can uh, mean that really important things for the country aren't going to get done or, uh, you know, catastrophically bad decisions get made, uh, you know, so, so things like that. At that level, it's, it's you know, really consequential. The other aspect of the culture that feeds into this is is the very American streak of individualism and kind of libertarianism, which seems to me encourages this kind of behavior. Yeah, I think that's really really important. I mean, there's a there's a version of the individualism that's the sort of old school human farmer version that doesn't. You know, the idea that you know. America, in America, you know, the newly settled America land is abundant and anyone by sweat of the brow can make something of themselves and pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, uh, um, and be of service, or the old Republican idea, to not only, you know, establish themselves, but then be of service in multiple ways to society, you know, and have a society run by citizenship. So that model gives both liberty and rewards for effort, but then also a responsibility of, of service. Uh, to the larger community, an older Republica ideal of civic engagement and, and public service. And that, to some extent, survives, but it's like taken really hard knocks on the newer style version of American individualism, the more libertarian style, really is, it's more egocentric, right? It's just, you know, um, you know, it's like the world, you know, exists just for my benefit and it exists for my liberty and um, you know, uh, the, when you're thinking sort of about what you ought to do or what you ought to do, the question is, what am I owed? You know, what are, what's my due? 
and not uh, how do I fit within a larger society that you know is mostly just been given to us by the efforts of other people. What are my obligations of service and things like that? So um, the focus is all on sort of what you're owed and your rights and and uh, your and not you know what your obligations to contribute to society uh, are. So I think that's a newer flavor of of libertarianism that sort of just deletes mentally the real background of cooperation that really is necessary for society to function. And so and that's that that kind of really is sort of in some sense become prominent in the culture. Um, but I think it's different from an older style of American thinking that that wasn't didn't have such a strong individual wasn't so radically individualistic. Right. When you talk to your students there at University of California Irvine about this, how do how do they respond? What do they think of this? Oh well, the way I usually use it is just uh, as a kind of way, uh, an entry way into you know larger questions in moral and political philosophy, and um, it's nice for that purpose because instead of starting out with sort of bland examples of you know whether an action is right or wrong, or you know good or bad, or uh, you know you can jump in um, with discussion of you know assholes or psychopaths, and then talk about you know these basic concepts of of respect and cooperation and um, recognition and you know, equality. And so it gets, it sort of more quickly gets to the real interesting subject matter, the resonant subject matter of ethics and political philosophy. And then you can go from there to lots of figures in the history of, 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 of philosophy that are a close fit. So that goes all the way back to, uh, Socrates and Plato, Socrates discussions with Calicles, say, or later, uh, Hobbes's fool, yeah, um, or Nietzsche's Ubermensch, um, um, so a lot of these, you know, figures have sort of some similarities uh, to to what we now think of as well. They're not quite the same thing. Um, so there's been interesting questions about how they're different or whether these these uh, you know earlier figures really are uh, uh, similar or how they're different. Um, but so all of this is sort of quickly can get you into sort of deeper questions of philosophy in a way that feels you know organic and interesting to students, you know, uh, and not just, you know, something you have to learn because it's part of a standard philosophy curriculum. Is there a nexus between asshole behavior and criminal behavior that we've seen? Yeah, um, it's, I think there is, a, there is a connection at a certain level. I mean, in one way there's not because there's lots of forms of criminality that um, isn't just you know, a reflection of someone being an asshole, or at least the concept of the asshole is clearest when, um, you know, someone's more or less law-abiding, but then there's, you know, uh, they feel entitled to sort of set a law aside the law in this case. You know, it's not being a complete outlaw, for example, um, in the way, say, a psychopath is, or, or you know, um, you know, a mob, members of a mob or a gang or, or something like that. Uh, the, the asshole concept is clearest with people who... Um, are sort of selective or, or systematic about cheating gray areas of cooperative life uh, as opposed to um, just blatantly disregarding um, uh, uh, a law. Uh, but I think in some there's a larger connection because to the extent that a culture um, is encouraging people not to just be cooperative or care about the norms, you know, including law, the law, you know, uh, that makes society function, then, you know, you'll get people cheating in the gray areas, right, and, um, and exploiting other people's cooperation, and you'll get more severe violations. So um, to, the, to, the, to the extent there's sort of less social trust 
uh, and less of a even understanding of um, what it takes for a society to function, um, I think you're more likely to get you know any number of different kinds of deviancy, deviant behavior, you know, as sociologists might call it. Aaron James, his book is Assholes: A Theory. It's just out in paperback from Anchor Books. Aaron, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks so much. Very nice chatting with you. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.